Uh, Garfield Langhorn was raised in the small town of Riverhead, New York, around the 1950s when he was growing up. And Garfield was a devout Christian. In fact, as a young boy and then as a young man, he, he demonstrated and displayed many fruits of the Christian faith in his life. Like how he diligently served the Lord. He was a volunteer in his church. He was an usher there. Or the fact that it seemed that he certainly displayed great Christian joy in his life. Garfield Langhorn was known by many people for his smile. Or how he had a very generous and giving spirit, the way that all God's people should. In fact, one day, Garfield Langhorn gave his car to a young boy that he had been mentoring. But it was after all these things that Garfield would powerfully demonstrate one of the greatest fruits in the Christian life. Like so many young men at that time, Garfield received his draft notice for the Vietnam War. So he reported for training camp. Like all true Christians, his faith went with him. According to all reports, he was a good Christian witness to his fellow soldiers. Then one day in Vietnam, his platoon was ordered to go and rescue two helicopter pilots who had been shot down. Well, they spent some time getting their way through the the jungle where they were going. And when they finally arrived and got there, they found that both the pilots had already died. So they started to, to get the bodies of the pilots and returned to camp, and all of a sudden they found themselves surrounded by the enemy who started to fire on their position. So Garfield and his platoon were pinned down. They started to fire back. Now, Garfield was the radio operator for his platoon, so he called in air support. Sure enough, air support came, and the firefight continued until the sun went down. You see, that's when they lost that air support, and that's when they found out that the enemy was still there. As soon as the American helicopters had left, the enemy started creeping in to try and find these American GIs pinned down in the jungle. And that was when one of the worst things imaginable happened for Garfield and his platoon. That's that all of a sudden an enemy grenade landed right in the middle of them. Without even thinking, Garfield lunged forward, fell on top of the grenade, he absorbed the blast, and saved his fellow soldiers Eventually, they made it out alive, but not, not Garfield Langhorn. His heroic actions earned him the Medal of Honor. As I read his story, it was written by a columnist. This, this columnist, she wrote this. She said, wondering out loud in her article, she said, what went through his mind when he made the decision to protect his fallen comrades by covering the grenade with his own body. What went through his mind? Now, she didn't give an answer, and I don't know what went through Garfield's mind, but I do believe that what ultimately motivated him to do it was love. In fact, there is no greater way we can show love for others than through such selfless sacrifice like what Garfield demonstrated that day. And you know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, our love for one another is supposed to be great. But the truth is there's a, there's a greater love than this love that we show each other. A love that shapes ours. A love that teaches us to be selfless. That teaches us what our love is supposed to look like. A love that's greater than we could even imagine. And church, that's God's love for us. You see, no matter how much we love each other or love others or even love God, at the end of the day, believers, God loves us more. He always will. 
But here's the great thing. The more that we understand God's love for us, the more we'll understand how to show love to others. And that's what we're going to do this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. So that we can look at this love of God for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use, uh, use one of those Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those here in the sanctuary, you can turn to page 988. Page 988. 1 John chapter 4. As you turn there, just as a reminder, last week, when we were in the book of 1 John, we saw more warnings from John about these false teachers who are out in the world. And John reminded us at the very end there that we aren't like them. We aren't like those false teachers. No, we are those who have been born again and brought into God's family. But believers, what does that mean we should be like? What are our lives supposed to look like? Well, there's a lot we're going to learn about that as we learn about God's love in these verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John writes this. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Stop here for just a second, because John is, John is laying the foundation for us here about love before we look at the specifics of God's love. And it's important that we, that we understand that foundation, because our, our world today has such, a, such an embarrassing idea and definition of love. You see, to the world, love is just this feeling or, or affection that you might have for any person or thing. It comes and goes. It's not that serious. Yet at the same time, you better validate their feelings or else they'll be upset with you. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's very subjective, very selfish, their view of love. And they just say, well, you know what? Love is love. What, uh, what nonsense. Now, the Bible says that God is love. And what that means when the Bible says that is that God defines what love truly is. You see, if you want to know what pure and perfect love looks like, don't look to yourself the way that the world does. No, you need to look to God. And you want to know something incredible that John points to here and he's going to point to throughout the rest of our time together this morning? Not only does God define love, but when we come to know him, when by faith we enter into his family, he he changes how we love others. We stop living in selfish, worldly love, and instead we start to show godly love. In other words, once we've been adopted into God's family, our love is going to be modeled after our Heavenly Father. That's a sweet truth. Uh, this past week, my mom, she uh, sent a picture to Casey, my wife, picture to her of me when I was little. Um, Jacob, I think we have that in the computer. If you can put that picture up for me, I'd appreciate it. There it is. So that's my sister in the background there, and then in the front, that's my little brother Nick on the right, and then that's me on the left. And I looked at that picture, and I told Casey, I said, well, look at that. 
I said, I feel like I can see our oldest son, Judah, in my face right there. Yeah. Casey said, no. <laughs> she said, she said, no. She said, I see Simon, our youngest son, in your face right there. The point of this story is that I don't know which of my sons looks like me. Maybe the third one will, thanks. But what I do know is that in many ways, both of my sons, they, uh, they act like me. The whole like father, like son thing, right? Now, in my case, that's not always a, a good thing, though. But, you know, I, I am grateful that something similar is true for us, especially as Christians, which is that once we become children of God, we begin to be changed from the inside out. And that pure, holy, perfect love of our Heavenly Father starts to fill our hearts, and then we start to show that, that same love to others, like father, like child, right? So God defines love, the very love that should be seen in his people, in his children. So the question now, of course, is what's that love look like? So let's look together, beginning in verse 9. This is what John writes. So this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I'll just pause right here for a second. The first example that John gives of God showing his love is that God gave his son for us. God gave his son for us. Jesus left the glory of heaven, the place of his throne, place of his praise, that perfect place, to come to this world to die for me and you. I mean, do we, do we grasp the depth of how loving that really is? Notice what John said. He said, this is love. Not, not that we love God, but that he loved us. In other words, look, God didn't show his love and send his son because we earned it. We didn't deserve it. God didn't do this because we're just so lovable. That's not why he did it. Romans 5 tells us that God did that while we were still sinners. That despite our lawless rebellion, God sent his, God sent his son. In fact, go read through the biblical narrative. Start in Genesis, read through to the end. And maybe, maybe then we'll begin to see how deep the Father's love for us really is. Maybe we'll start to see how from the very beginning, when man first rejected God, how from that time, people chose sin and idolatry over him time and time again. How we worship creation rather than the creator. And how we've rejected his laws. We cared more for pleasure than for purity. And despite all of this, he still made a way for us. Despite all of that, he still gives us the chance to receive forgiveness and eternal life. He still sent his son. Why would he do that? He did it because God is love. God defines love. And when he gave his son for us, he showed, he showed what true godly love really looks like, didn't he? I mean, godly love, it is, it's visible, right? Yep. Something that's going to be seen. That type of love, godly love, is sacrificial, right? Absolutely. 
But I want us to understand something else, too. When God gave his son, he showed that godly love, true love, is given whether or not someone deserves it or earned it. I think that's a tough thing for us sometimes. In fact, listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was teaching, and this is right after he commanded us to love our enemies. Okay? Matthew 5, verses 46 through 48, Jesus went on to say this. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, our our perfect heavenly Father loved us even though we are so undeserving of that love. And how can that love not change us, believers? Our love for God didn't come first. His love for us came first. He displayed that love on the blood-stained cross of Christ. And if God loves us this way, then our natural response, believers, should be to love one another. Not, Not based on whether we think that person earned it or deserves it. And not based on what we think that love is going to cost us. No, godly love, true Love sacrifices for the good of the other, whether or not we think that they deserve it. I'm so thankful that that is the type of love that God showed us. The question is, do we show that type of love to others? Now, the great thing is that God's love didn't stop there. Look at verse 12. John says, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So it says that no one has ever seen God. Now, it's true that at this point people had seen the Son of God. Jesus took on flesh. Colossians 2.9 says that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. But no one has seen God the Father in his great glory. In fact, the Bible tells us, for one, and John chapter 4 tells us that God is spirit. And second, the Bible tells us that if we were to see God in the fullness of his glory, we would drop down and die. Now, does this mean that God doesn't exist because we haven't seen him? No. No, I mean, after all, we don't see the wind, but we know it exists because we see the evidence of it when it blows. And in the same way, we haven't seen God but we know he exists because of the evidence of God that we see every day through his love in our lives. Just one of the many ways that we know that he exists. And John says, this is how we know that we are in him and he is in us. He says that he has given us of his spirit. You see, the second example John is giving us of how God showed his love 
is that God gives His Spirit to His people. God gives His Spirit to His people. That is something for us to really rejoice in. But I want us to grasp the significance of this. So consider what Jesus said. Back in John chapter 14, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and he was telling them that he, well, he was going to be leaving them. Why? Because he was about to die on the cross. Remember, that's the reason the Father sent the Son. Then he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to ascend to heaven. So he was going through these things with them. But Jesus told them that he wasn't going to leave them alone. No, he told them that when he left, he was going to send to them the Holy Spirit. And listen to what Jesus said later in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus said this. He said, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it's, it's good that he was going to leave them because the result is that the Holy Spirit was going to come. He's saying that it's to our, to our benefit. Jesus says this is good news for his followers. You see, not only did God the Father give his Son for us, but God gave the Holy Spirit to his people too. I mean, that's, that's an incredible gift. And the Holy Spirit is also a daily testament to us believers of God's love for us. Let me explain to you what I mean. Why don't you consider just a few of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in righteousness. We don't have to give in to sin and temptation like we once did, believers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts so that we be equipped to serve our family in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit guides us in wisdom and understanding through this life. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit assures us that we are children of God. Now, the Holy Spirit does more things than this, but these are some of the daily ongoing evidences we have from him that we are the people of God. I bring this up because I want you to understand that God's love for us was not a one-time event at the cross of Christ. No, his love is daily. It's ongoing. And one evidence we have that is the Holy Spirit living within us. That's an incredible gift. Many years ago, on a stormy winter night, there was a woman named Stella who was staring out of the window at her home, and on that night, Stella was gripped with loneliness. You see, her husband Dave had been diagnosed with terminal cancer that year, and he passed away a few months earlier. This was the very first winter she was spending alone. And she found herself staring out the window thinking about how things used to be, and as she stood there, tears streamed down her face. Then all of a sudden, that time was interrupted when the doorbell rang. She wondered to herself who was crazy enough to be out in a snowstorm. But she answered the door, and a young man was standing there, and he said, uh, he said, hi, he said, are you Mrs. Thornhope? 
Stella nodded her head. And the man left and came back carrying a large box that he carefully set down on the ground, and then he handed an envelope to her. No sooner had he done this that the box moved a little bit, and Stella jumped. Then she opened it, and inside the box she found a small puppy. And the man said, Miss Thornhope, he said, this dog is six weeks old, and he's already housebroken. He said, the letter that I gave you explains everything. Well, she was kind of kind of shocked by all this, didn't know what to say. All that she could get out was uh, to ask him, who, who bought this dog? And he looked at her and he said, well, your husband did. And then the young man laughed. So Stella opened up the letter that he had handed to her, and in the letter, it was written by her late husband, Dave, a few weeks before he had passed away. And in that letter, he encouraged his wife, and he told her that the puppy was a gift to keep her company until the day came that they met in heaven. And in that moment, Stella felt a peace and a joy that she hadn't had in months. She still had sorrow, but she wasn't alone anymore. You know, believers, in this world, we will have times of sorrow, times of trouble, times of loneliness. But we are never alone, Christians, because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. And we will have him every moment as we look forward to heaven. He doesn't leave us for a single day. And and so this is just another part of God's great love for us. See, one of the great things about God's love is that it doesn't end. No matter our circumstances, no matter our hardships, no matter our emotions or feelings, God continues to love us day by day. And his Holy Spirit living within us Well, it's one of the examples of that great love. And here's the thing. If God demonstrates his love towards us this way, day after day, then, well, then we need to learn to love one another day after day. We need to learn to love each other every day. No matter our circumstances, no matter our emotions, our feelings, our hardships, we should show ongoing love to one another until the day that we step into heaven. Why? Well, because that's the type of love we receive from our Heavenly Father. So that's the type of love we need to show one another. But there's more that John has for us. Look at verse 16. He says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Oh, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Christians, not only did God's great love for us result in our salvation and the Holy Spirit living within us, but then his love was starts to change us. You see, when we abide in him, when we walk in his love, we become more like Christ. Well, then soon we start to realize that we aren't that same quick-tempered, selfish sinner that we once were. We start to see how he's changing our hearts so that we would love others, even those that we would never have loved before. And as we walk in godly love, we find that we don't walk in fear about the future anymore. 
You see, the third example John gives of how God shows his love is that God gives us his peace. God gives us his peace. Now, I want you to understand what I mean by that. When I say that God gives us his peace, I do not mean that we will never experience hardship or trouble or temptation or pain. No, you will absolutely face those things, believer. But listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 16. This is in verse 33. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. After Jesus told them the hardship that they would face in this life, Jesus said this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We're going to have trouble in this life, believer. We're going to have trouble in this world. But in Christ, we have peace. We have peace in Jesus Christ. In fact, that peace came first when we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Romans 5 verse 1 tells us that in that moment, in the moment of our salvation, we are now at peace with God. We're no longer His enemies striving against Him in sin and unbelief. No, now now we're His children. But we have an eternal home with Him waiting for us. But, But what about the day of judgment? Now understand, all people will stand before God in judgment, friend. All of us will. But the difference is that the day of judgment for Christians isn't about condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. The day of judgment for Christians is not about condemnation. It's about reward. And those Christians who have lived in godly love, and as a result, who have been living like Christ, those Christians are going to find much reward on that day, which is why they don't don't have any reason to fear the day of judgment. No, in fact, they look forward to it. Why? Because they're confident. They're confident about it because they are at peace in the love of God. But do we have that peace about eternity, believer? Do you have that peace about the day that you will stand before God, Christian? Sadly, many Christians don't have that peace because although they have salvation, they know that they are not living the right way in their life right now. They know that they aren't loving others. They aren't living like Christ. And so standing before God, that's the last thing that they want to do. They've been robbed of that peace. But Christians, when we live in godly love, that love drives out all fear. Now God wants us to have that peace. And that peace comes when God's love is perfected in us. Which looks like this. Look at verse 20. John says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, we have peace and about the day of judgment, about that day that we stand before God when we're living in godly love. That's when we have that confidence. That's when we have that peace, believer. And and we do that, we live in godly love by showing love to one another. But here's the problem. The problem that we face is that we don't always want to love others, do we? So we make excuses. You know, pastor, you just don't understand. You don't realize how tough 
so-and-so is to love. How this person has hurt me. How this person has wronged me. They don't deserve it. We usually feel that we have very good reasons to withhold love from others. But John says, believer, that if, if we love God, well, then we won't withhold love from others. Because if we love God, we're going to love the ones who God loves. And who does God love? What's that famous verse in John chapter 3 say? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sadly, we lose sight of that sometimes, don't we? About 200 years ago, there was this painter. He's very sought after. People, people wanted to, to meet him, to have something painted by him. His name was Gilbert Stuart. And uh, he was most well-known for his portraits that he would paint of individuals. People would come and sit for him, and he would, he would paint them. And he painted famous people, including uh, some U.S. presidents, like George Washington. In fact, uh, the face of George Washington that we've all seen on the $1 bill, well, that came from one of Stuart's works. Well, there's this other accomplished painter of that same time period who was teaching some art students, and this is what he said about Gilbert Stuart. He said to his students, he said, it's no use to steal Stuart's colors. If you want to paint the way that he does, you'd have to steal his eyes. In other words, it's not about the tools, it's about the spirit, the heart of the man, and how he saw people that resulted in these great, great paintings. You know, Christians, many times when we struggle to love others, the thing that we need to do is we need to ask God to help us see people the way that he does. We need to ask the Holy Spirit living within us would change our heart towards others. We should love our family in Christ. We should go out of our way to love one another to encourage each other, to comfort the brokenhearted among us, to lovingly address sin in our midst, to pray for one another, to show hospitality to each other, to serve each other. We should do all of these things, but not because the person deserves it. No, but because in our love for God, we can't help but love the ones whom he loves. That's why. That's why we should love the family in Christ. That's why we should love those outside the family in Christ. For those individuals, we should seek to share the gospel with them so that they could enter into the same peace and salvation that the Lord has given to us. Church, here's the thing. If you've been with us in our study in 1 John, you've probably noticed we've been reminded a lot of times to love one another. Here we find that if we want to understand what that love looks like, then we need to look to God. Because God is love. And the love that he has poured out on us is the same type of love that we are supposed to pour out on others. So here's the truth I want us to understand this morning, church. It's this. The better we understand God's love for us, the better we'll be at loving those around us. The better we understand God's love for us, the better we'll be at loving those around us. See, we do need to love one another believer. We certainly ought to love God. But at the end of the day, God is always going to love us more. More than we can imagine, more than we could ever love him or love others. So the more we learn about his love, the more we remember his love for us every day, the more we should desire to show that same love to others. So 
What about you, believer? When was the last time you took some time to consider God's great love in your life and thank him and praise him for it? When was the last time you did that? Maybe today needs to be the day that you do that. If so, I'd encourage you to use this time during our final song to do just that. Consider God's love in your life and praise and thank him for it. Believer, maybe you're here and you know that there is a fellow Christian, someone in the family of Christ that you have struggled to love. If that's true for you, I'm going to encourage you, ask, ask God to give you his eyes so that you could see that person the way he does, so that you could love that person the way he does. Maybe there's a person outside the family of Christ that you have struggled to love. Well, if that's true, ask that God would give you a burden for that person to share the good news of the gospel with them. And church, let's strive to love God and to love one another more and more day by day until that day that we meet together in heaven. Friend, if you're here, though, and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you never put your faith in Him. Uh, there's something very important I want you to know before you leave. See, the Bible says that Christians can have peace about what comes next. We can have peace about eternity. But I need you to understand that if you are here and Jesus is not your Savior, you should not have peace about what comes after this life. And I know that sounds unkind. I know that sounds mean. But I tell you that so you can understand how you can have that peace. You see, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. It means we've broken God's commands. What we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust, and take God's name in vain, all these bad things that we do. When the Bible is very clear that our sin deserves eternal punishment, an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. And so if we haven't received God's forgiveness, that's what our eternity is going to be. We shouldn't have peace about that. But God does want you to have his peace. God wants you to receive his forgiveness. God wants to pardon you from hell. God wants to give you eternal life, the guarantee you're going to be with him. But friends, we can't earn these things. That's why in his love for us, Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross. He did that to take the penalty that our sins deserve. And then after that, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, proving he's exactly who he said he is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the only one who can save us. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, understand that you can have that same peace about eternity. You can have that same confidence of where you will be. You can have the same eternal life that many in this room rejoice that we share. But friend, if you want that, go to Jesus Christ in faith. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Repent of your sins before him. Put your faith in him as your savior and become his follower. In other words, if you want eternal life, friend, then give your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Friend, maybe you're here, and if you were honest, you'd admit that you don't have that peace about eternity. You don't know for sure what's going to happen after this life. You don't know that you can stand confident before God. You don't know he's going to welcome you into heaven with open arms. Friend, if that's true for you, please understand God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. To pay the penalty for those sins, you can be pardoned from hell. To give you eternal life, to forgive you. The question is, are you willing to repent of your sins and give your life to him? If you'd like to do that, please know you can come and talk to me during this final song, this invitation song we'll have. But if you're ready right now where you're sitting to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. So friend, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this one. 
Dear Jesus, Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins and to be my Savior. I'm turning my life over to you because I know you can do more with it than I can. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today who made that decision, if this is the day they finally stepped into that perfect peace that you give us, that they'd share it with someone here so we could rejoice with them. For those of us who have made that decision, Father, if there are believers in here that don't have peace about standing before you because they know they're not living the right way, they're not loving people the way you've commanded us to, they're not living like Christ, if that's true for any believer here today, I pray that we would respond by repenting of those things, that we would step into your forgiveness, that we would leave behind those things that are keeping us from living in a way that pleases you, and that we would choose to live in godly love. Father, help us to be a church that loves one another and that knows what it means to love one another by better understanding your love for us so that we would go out of our way to encourage each other, pray for one another, help each other, lift each other up, show hospitality, serve one another. There's so many ways we can love the family in Christ. Help us to love those outside the family of Christ by sharing the gospel with them so that they could know that peace and eternal life that you offer. Father, for those of us here who are followers of Jesus Christ, and maybe we've got some people in our lives we are just having a hard time loving, I pray that you would show us this morning how much you love them, that you would lay it on our heart to love them the same way, so that we would be found as a church walking in love, walking in unity, and walking in a way that pleases you. Father, we love you. But you proved long ago and you proved day after day that you love us more. Help us never to forget that. In Jesus' name, amen.